Welcome to the Chosen People Radio Program, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this program, you'll hear inspiring stories, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Now let's welcome our hosts, Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries, and Robert Walter, our New York Regional Director. Shalom, dear friends. Thank you for carving out some time today to be with Bobby and I as we talk about the Sermon on the Mount. This has been an an exciting series, and... uh, We're up to uh, chapter six, and I don't want anybody to be uh, anxious about what we're about to do because you'll see now that the Lord doesn't want us to be anxious, that anxiety is something that uh, is not part of our life when we're walking with the Lord. He wants us to be at shalom. He wants us to have peace. So reading from verse 25, for this reason I say to you, don't be worried about your life as to what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor your body as to what you put on. It's, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour uh, to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil or spin, yet I say not even in... Solomon, King Shlomo, in all his glory, clothed himself like one of these. And so uh, Yeshua, Jesus, can, continues on. And uh, the, the basic message is, is so very clear that God wants us to trust him with our whole heart. And when we trust him, then we rest in him. And uh, he is our ultimate Sabbath, isn't he? Uh, we find our rest in him and we are at peace and no matter what he provides, it's enough. You know, it reminds me of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we have all we need uh, when we trust uh, the Lord. And again, this whole teaching on uh, contentment, about not being anxious, uh, that's something that is pretty indicative even today within the Jewish community. Now, of course, they uh, some of our dear, precious Jewish friends who are religious don't know the Lord. Uh, they don't know Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, but how many times, Bobby, as you're speaking to an Orthodox Jew, do they say something and then punctuate it by Baruch Hashem? Oh, yeah. Praise his name. Yeah, very common, very common. Uh, Baruch Hashem, praise his name. Or uh, another phrase that you'll hear all the time is Bezrat Hashem, which is with God's help. With God's help, Yeah. yeah. And if it's God's will. I mean, it's, it's amazing how this teaching of non-anxiety and contentment and experiencing shalom is so woven into Jewish culture and Jewish religious faith. Mm-hmm. And so you, you, you know somebody who at least is trying to have a relationship with God and trying to be obedient to the law of God. That person is always a content person. It's, it's almost a given that they will be somebody who's not particularly anxious. Uh, I thought it was very curious that Jesus said in verse 32, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you, which of course is not only one of my favorite verses in the Bible, but I'm sure it's a favorite for, for so many. But what, what do you think he means when he says the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, clothing and drink and all these things that should naturally come from God, the Gentiles eagerly seek them? 
Yeah. What, what's he talking about there, Bob? Yeah. Well, I think, I think Jesus here is making a strong contrast between uh, the, the prevailing dominant philosophies of the day, especially in Roman culture, because again, remember, in Israel at this time, the Jewish people were under Roman rule and, and Roman authority. And, uh, you know, when you look at some of those philosophies, there was such a focus on the material side of, of uh, our existence and just prioritizing all of those things that essentially are, are fleeting. You know, they're, they're like a vapor. They appear for a moment and then they're right. gone. And ultimately, I think what Jesus is trying to do here is he's trying to reorient our focus and our perspective on life and even recognize the fingerprints of God in what might be considered the mundane, okay, that the mundane areas of our life. God is even involved in those things. God is even involved in the clothes that we wear, uh, in making sure that, uh, you know, the food is on the table. And I think in our culture today, especially, I think this is an important message because there is like the temptation, even for believers, to sort of compartmentalize our faith, you know, where we we go to church on Sunday and, and we're kind of a certain person when we're there. Uh, but then throughout the rest of the week, we kind of put our faith on the shelf. You know, I'm not saying that everybody does this, but the temptation is there. It's a, uh, it's a temptation for all of us, Bobby. Exactly. Exactly. You know. Uh, and the message of Jesus here is the opposite of that. Like, no, no, God is involved in every area of our life. When we walk into the congregation, when we step out of the congregation, when we rise up in the morning, when we lay down to go to bed, when we are uh, walking to our car uh, or walking to the subway to go to work and throughout the day at work. Well, you're saying is well taken, you know, what really we're talking about here are pagan faiths. So Jesus, of course, understood Judaism. The temple was still standing when he was there. Synagogues were proliferated all over Israel and Asia Minor, all throughout the diaspora uh, at this time. Uh, there were many, many first century synagogues. And uh, so there's a real contrast uh, between the Gentiles and the pagan religions and the faith of, of Jewish people. And the one thing that the pagans focused on was the material world. And so if the gods were going to do anything for you, it would be uh, in the material world. There was not really a concept of communion with God on the pagan side. And I think that communion with God has always been an important part of Judaism. God walked even with Adam in the garden, and he wasn't even Jewish yet. Was Adam Jewish? I don't think so. But God walked with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And um, the New Covenant said that your sins will be forgiven and the law would be written in your heart. There's always that internal um, closeness with God that's part of the promise of the Bible, right. both Old and New Testament. You can't really enjoy it to its fullest without knowing Jesus because then the Holy Spirit's living in your heart and your soul. But I think the paganism is a materialistic religion. And so Jesus is making a harsh contrast and basically he's saying you know sometimes you jewish people act like pagans hmm. because you're so intent on squeezing everything out of this life 
that you're working harder at it than God himself. God yeah. will provide everything you need if you put his kingdom first. So yeah. don't become like the pagans who are materialists. Right. You know, renounce those things and put your full trust in God. And that, that would have been a very firm rebuke. Jesus's original audience would have heard that and felt the sting of those words. Gee, what's he accusing us of? Exactly. And you know, it's interesting. That, that again, was, that wasn't really the portfolio for the Messiah that a lot of first century Jewish people expected. You know, they expected the white horse, conquering the Romans, establishment of the kingdom. Uh, they weren't thinking about another prophet coming along and speaking to the uh, potential lack of uh, ethics or immorality or disobedience in the soul of, of a Jewish person and calling a Jewish person out on that. And uh, so I think that this can also be very easily applied uh, to all of us. Mm -hmm. The faith that we have in Jesus, consistent with the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, is not really an external faith, it's an internal faith, mm -hmm. where God transforms us from the inside out. You need to be born again. The law is written on your heart. It's always, always on the inside. And then the inside flourishes and uh, instead of seeking uh, all the good things that this world might have to offer, which is sometimes very attractive, um, God wants us to have pure hearts and to seek him, that relationship with him, and then to seek the best for others, to be those who serve other people. Uh, I love verse 34. He concludes it all and he says, so don't worry about tomorrow. <laughs> no. Based upon all this, chill out. You know, don't be so anxious. Don't be like the Gentiles. Don't try and work your way into heaven because it just won't work. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, my, one of my favorite passages during the last couple of years, it's been Proverbs 16, 9, that a man plans his way, but God orders his steps. And, and that's, that's the beauty of it all. Uh, it, Jesus is not here saying don't plan for your life. The Lord wants us to be generous with how we steward our material resources. He wants us to support the Lord's work, to support a local congregation, to support a local church. And so he wants us to do all those things. So it's, he's not against planning. God is not against planning. He's a God of order, right? But he also wants us to fully understand that he's in control of our days and that we'll have whatever we need when we need it. And that even though we're planning, uh, that doesn't mean that everything's going to work out the way we think it's going to work out. This world is still tainted by sin, sometimes sickness, sometimes uh, a lot of other factors can keep us from doing what we thought was our plan. But I like, I think it was uh, Chuck Swindoll, who has a way of saying these things, said, uh, our disappointments are God's appointments. And it's just such a great, great pithy little statement that sometimes when things aren't working out the way we want, it's because God's allowing circumstances in our lives so that we would more fully embrace his will and not our own. Noted Dallas Theological Seminary professor, Dr. Gerald Bach tells us, plagues are a way for God to get our attention. And in the gospels, the Messiah warns his disciples that pestilence will be one of the signs of the last days of human history. So does that mean we're living in the end times? 
In a time of global pandemic, people are understandably frightened and wanting answers. So if you would like to know what the Bible teaches about pestilence, plagues, and pandemics, be sure to call us and ask for your free copy of Joel Rosenberg's booklet today. It's available right now when you go online to chosenpeople.com radio. That's chosenpeople.com radio. Or request the booklet, Pestilence, Plagues, and Pandemics, What Does the Bible Teach? When you call 888-2-YESHUA. That number again is 888-293-7482. We look forward to hearing from you soon. And thanks for reaching out. New York City home to an estimated 1.6 million Jewish people. At Chosen People Ministries, we gather believers from all over the country every summer to proclaim the good news of Jesus the Messiah to Jewish people all around the city. We engage in street outreach and follow-up. We also invite our volunteers to a special Jewish cultural day, Sabbath dinner celebration, and more. If you have a heart for the Jewish people and love to talk about Jesus, visit chosenpeople.com slash shalomnewyork to find out more. That's chosenpeople.com slash Shalom New York. We hope to see you this summer. Well, welcome back, friends. Today we're going to hear from one of my dear friends, Ken Barron, a Jewish believer from New York City. Incredible testimony. I mean, this testimony is going to really move you. You will not believe that a Jewish boy who made such a mess of his life ended up uh, being an executive vice president with the Billy Graham Association in Samaritan's Purse. God has used Ken so powerfully. But you'll see, he who f- sins much is forgiven much and loves much. And that's Ken's story. How did a Jewish kid from New York City wind up as an executive vice president of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. I remember coming home from school and these Catholic kids would chase me and then they started to throw rocks at me. You killed Christ. I don't even know who Christ is. I didn't kill anybody. The first time I had heroin, it was in the, in the bathroom, men's bathroom at Grand Central Station in New York City. What a horrible, degenerative kind of thing. How did a nice Jewish boy like me get into a place like this? And that led to a string of drug use and eventually got to where my parents disowned me. I was kicked out. My father said, I never want to see you again as long as I live. Now I had been a heroin addict for seven years. And then some people from a drug program came and recruited me to go into this three-year residential treatment program. God was my imaginary friend. I said, please, God, if you get me out of this one, I'll never use drugs again. I wound up being president of this drug program. The president of the United States comes to visit that program. Ronald Reagan shows up at the front door of this building and I'm hosting him. I sit there for two hours talking to the president, telling him about this story and what happened to me. And then he spoke to the residents. He asked me first, he said, is it okay if I tell the residents of the program that your body is the temple of your spirit? I said, you can tell them whatever you want, you're the president of the United States. 
the chief of staff, Jim Baker, he said, we saw what you did with drug addicts. We'd like you to join the campaign because just think what you could do with Republicans. I'm in Washington. I'm, here's my title, Deputy Assistant Secretary of Public Affairs slash Public Liaison for the United States Department of Health and Human Services. Huge title. I don't even know how you fit it on a business card. It was like a miracle. I mean, things kept falling into place. Going to England, being the guest of the royal family, private visits with the Pope, the Dalai Lama. And I wound up becoming president of Ronald McDonald House Charities worldwide. When I started there, we had $300,000. When I left in 2007, we had $1.6 billion. I was doing well. But my heart was all messed up. I was like searching, how am I gonna ever get happy? You can pay me all the money in the world, give me nice cars, a nice house. All the success that I was having didn't fill this emptiness in me. If I could just find this answer, that this pain would go away. This auto race came up. It was a, a one lap of America. A Car and Driver magazine sponsored this, and we would get pledges for miles driven. And, and we arranged for people to drive fancy cars, fast cars. I had met a gentleman who owned a, one McDonald's restaurant in Atlanta, Georgia. His name was Paul Saber. I arranged for him and his friend to come up from Albuquerque and drive a Ferrari. And it was all logoed up. It looked like one of those NASCAR cars with all kinds of logos on it and had Ronald McDonald House charities on it. I'm driving and he says, Ken, go faster, go faster. We're on a two-lane highway. He says, go faster. I said, Paul, you don't act like you're afraid to die. He says, I'm not, because I know where I'm going. I said, what does that mean? And he says, now let me tell you about my friend Jesus. Then he starts to talk to me about his religion. He said, you need to accept Jesus Christ into your life. And I screech on the brakes and pull over the side and said, look, I'm a Jew. He said, no, you would be a completed Jew. I said, what does that mean? He said, that means that you've accepted Jesus as your savior, that you've accepted that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins. Well, that was a big philosophical conversation. I knew as a Jew, that we weren't supposed to read the New Testament. It was taboo. When I opened it up, I saw that it was just an extension of the Old Testament. It, it completed the story for me. If that's gonna fill up this emptiness, then how do we do it? I mean, do I need to go to a synagogue? Do I need to like step on a glass and, uh, or, or build a chuppah or something? He said, no, just pray with me. God, forgive me for my sins. I accept Jesus as my savior. I repent for all the things I've done wrong. And I ask you to come into my heart and into my soul, clean this stuff out and make me new again. And I started sobbing and the tears were coming out of me and it was like a fog came over me. I couldn't stop sobbing but I felt like this whole weight had been lifted off my shoulders, that I had been freed, this emptiness was full. I, it was a physical 
reality. I said, you know, I've heard this word born again Christian a whole lot of times. I never ever would have believed that I would be one of them. But I know after that night what it's like to be born again. So I called up my father and I figured I'm getting disowned again. But I might as well tell him because I was so excited about it. And I said, Dad, he said, Kenny, how are you? What's going on? I said, I want to tell you something that happened last night. He said, what is it? I said, last night I prayed to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Didn't say a word. He started to cry. He started sobbing. My mother gets on the other phone. What did you say to your father to get him so upset? You know he's not well. He's 85 years old. He's in a wheelchair, blah, 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 blah. Typical Jewish mother. So I told her. It was dead silence. Dead silence. I figured I better hang up now so I don't have to hear about it. And she came back into the conversation and said, he's not crying tears of sadness. He's crying tears of joy because when we were looking for help for you with your drug problem, we found Jesus too. How did I get from here to there? It's all about Jesus. Shalom, friends. This is Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries. There is a growing movement of the Holy Spirit among second-generation young adults, and we have a great ministry to these folks. There are hundreds of them. There's a beautiful commercial center, two and a half times the size of what we have now that'll seat over 150 people. We have space for children's work. We have space for a cafe. And so pray over the center. We'd love to have you come on a chosen people trip. But I know that you'll want to be involved in one way or another to help the gospel go out in power to Israel. To learn more about this new exciting project, visit chosenpeople.com slash Tel Aviv Center. That's chosenpeople.com slash Tel Aviv Center. Partner with us to bring the love of Yeshua to Israel today. You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. Thank you so much for joining us today. And if you'd like to learn more about this weekly program, then let me encourage you to stop by our website and explore. You'll find us online at chosenpeople.com slash radio. We've got a variety of resources available, and we even have a free gift available for you just for reaching out. Joel Rosenberg is a dear friend, and he's written a book called Pestilence, Plagues, and Pandemics. What does the Bible teach? And my other friend, noted Dallas Theological Seminary professor Daryl Bach says, the plagues are a way for God to get our attention. Thank God that season of plague has stopped, but there are many other hardships in the world right now that we must pay attention to. The Messiah warns his disciples that pestilence, war, rumors of wars, will be one of the signs of the last days of human history. So it's only understandable that in a time of pandemic and war, that people are understandably frightened and wanting answers. And so if you'd like to know what the Bible teaches, about pestilence, plagues, and pandemics. Be sure to call us and ask for a free copy of Joel's book today. You'll find it at chosenpeople.com slash radio. You can also ask for the book today by writing to us at Chosen People Ministries, 
241 East 51st Street in New York, New York, 10022. Or give us a call at 888-293-7482. That's 888-2-YESHUA. And now let's wrap up today's program with the Aaronic Benediction. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha Ya'er panavelecha v'yichunecha Yisadonai panavelecha v'yasem lecha Shalom, v'yasem l'cha shalom, v'yasem l'cha shalom, v'yasem l'cha shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Shel Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace.